National Catholic Register. This is Register Radio, bringing light and clarity to the news and topics that affect your life. As Election Day approaches, many Catholics have joined EWTN in praying a Marian Novena for our nation. At the Register, we are praying as well as continuing to cover the important issues at play in the midterms. The Register's national correspondent, Loretta Brown, joins us from Washington. And then senior editor Jonathan Liedel talks about the latest on the Synod on Synodality, including what's in the working document and who will represent the U.S. in the continental phase. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Editor-in-Chief and Executive Director of the National Catholic Register and your host here on Register Radio. I'm joined by my co-host, EWTN News Executive Director Matthew Bunsen. Hi, Matthew. Hello. Great to be with you. You too. We're only a mere couple of days away from uh, November 8th, the midterm election day. And of course, throughout this election season, uh, EWTN has kept tabs on Catholic voters um, through a series of polls, three of them. Uh, Last week, we concluded the third and final poll. Uh, We released those results, and and I didn't have a chance to talk to you about them last week, but want to do so now. So what were some of the top findings of the EWTN Real Clear Opinion Research Survey? Yeah, well, for this uh, third and final poll for this uh, election cycle, uh, let's remember that we also did uh, a similar set of polling in 2020 Mm -hmm. for the presidential race. Uh, For this third one, uh, we looked at six battleground states, including places like Florida, Ohio, Arizona, in Nevada, Pennsylvania. And uh, we were serving likely Catholic voters to see, uh, first, what are the most pressing issues for them as we head literally into the, just, as you said, days away from the midterm elections. But then also uh, some of the head-to-head races in these battleground states. Uh, a number of these states, I'm, I'm thinking in particular Pennsylvania, Ohio, uh, and uh, Nevada, are really going to determine who controls both houses of Congress. And so we asked Catholics uh, who they're leaning toward in terms of the Senate races, but then also the gubernatorial races. And and some of the results were were pretty surprising, especially where Catholics landed on what is the most pressing issue for, uh, for them today, and that is solidly, unquestionably, the economy. That's right. 63%. I mean, that's, that is huge. (laughs) Um, You know, and of course, these are Catholic voters, people who um, identify themselves as Catholic. I think as you drill down a little further into Catholics who identify as going to mass once a week or more, other issues like abortion rise higher in in that percent. But, but really, I mean, 63%, the next you know, the next couple of issues, uh, abortion, uh, climate change, uh, security, immigration, are, are nowhere near that high percentage. So it's it's very clear what's on the mind of uh, the large uh, and, and not so hom- homogeneous <laughs> voting bloc, the <laughs> Catholic. Well, that's right. And when we're talking about economic issues, we're talking about the whole sort of cornucopia right now of, of misery for a lot of people. And that mm-hmm. we're, we're looking at jobs, we're looking at interest rates, and of course, uh, the giant gorilla in the room, which is inflation for right. everyone. Uh, so it's not a huge surprise that this would be the, the number one issue. But uh, I think the the scale of how important the economy is to Catholic voters across the board uh, was somewhat striking, as is, I'd have to say, the disapproval rate of President Biden. I think it has a direct correlation to the economic question. Uh, Among all cohorts of Catholic voters, he's underwater. 
Mm-hmm. Right, fifty-seven percent strongly disapprove. That's that's a very big percentage of strongly disapproving. Right. Um, so so yes, I do want to bring Loretta, um, our guest, our our coworker in Washington. Uh, into this conversation. Loretta, you have been, uh, of course, following EWTN's poll, um, but also many other polls this week, you know, uh, later polls. How do they compare to what we're talking about, this, you know, this high percentage of interest or, or importance to the economy? What else are you seeing? Yeah, what I often hear about um, Catholic voters is that the they're they're a reflection of the general like average U.S. voter, and that's definitely been true for you know what issues are most important heading into these midterms for the average U.S. voter. Um, you know, I was really I was noticing this Gallup poll that just came out um, on the issues of importance to voters, and the main ones were economy and the abortion, but. The economy was, you know, seven percentage points ahead of abortion as just the extremely important issue. Mm -hmm. Um, And then abortion was at 42 percent. The economy was at at 49 percent. And if I looked, you know, further down at the breakdown there and it it was interesting, um, abortion was the top concern for the, the Democrats surveyed. But for Republicans and independents, the economy was and the abortion ranked like much lower. And that just seems to be a reflection of the the trends I'm seeing in these different races I've been following, which is for Democrats, there's a huge emphasis on the overturn of Roe and abortion access and, you know, the, the importance of that. And for Republicans, the messaging is, you know, the economy's a mess, you know, we're going to address that. And that's just been, you know, the the rhetoric coming from both sides. And it seems like for the average voter, they they actually they do want to hear more about the economy. And it was interesting. I think it was last week. Um, Senator Bernie Sanders came out and said, you know, I, I don't know about this tactic of <laughs> the Democrats leading with abortion because, um, you know, some of them would do well to talk a little bit more about the economy. Um, so it was interesting to, to hear from him as well. Yes, I think that makes a lot of sense. And if we go back to EWTN's poll and and how high the economy was, it could be in part, you know, as we looked at these battleground states that Matthew mentioned, Arizona, Florida, Georgia, Nevada, Ohio, Pennsylvania, it seemed like the Catholic votes in those states were leaning uh, toward the Republican candidate. And thus, we know that the Republican, you know, people who are leaning toward the Republicans are, are leaning towards uh, those issues of economy and, and whatnot. So it all kind of makes sense as you look at this at this big picture. Loretta, you have been covering um, the midterm races and for an article for the Register, you wrote about 11 midterm races that could determine control of the Senate, which is, of course, very important to us right now um, because uh, it's it's basically... Uh, a, a very, very narrow with Kamala Harris as the, the tie-breaking vote um, uh, in, in the Senate. Um, and so this is a really big race for the Senate. Uh, what are you seeing? What are you, wh- who are you watching most? Um, and and what, should, uh, what are the driving forces in, in these states um, uh, for voters? Yeah, certainly. So, um, I think I was I was definitely looking into you know Pennsylvania, Georgia, Ohio. Those were some some interesting ones, um, just because it does seem like there's some big personalities there, but they also very much are discussing those issues that I mentioned, the uh, abortion and the economy, and it seems to be 
um, there's this this back and forth with the the Democratic candidate in those races. Uh, talks about you know the central importance of the the abortion issue and abortion access, and then the Republican candidate has come back and pointed out, well, where would you place restrictions on abortion? You know, um, and has kind of the, the Democrats haven't responded well to that. They ha- I mean, they haven't really nailed down a stance. Um, and so that'll be interesting to see if in those states um, in particular, where there, there does seem to be more, um, you know, a, a population that is sympathetic to the pro-life side of things, if they'll take note of that, um, you know, what the Republicans are calling extremism on, on late-term abortion from, from some of these Democratic candidates, just being unwilling to, um, you know, put, put a limit down. Um, and then also just how the, um, you know, I think President Biden and and Trump have been involved in, mm-hmm. uh, you know, talk, talking about backing these candidates, essentially. Right. And it'll be interesting to see. I think we'll just get answers about, um, you know, the way these things play out in terms of what the Republican Party is going to look like, what the Democratic Party is going to look like with this rhetoric and these these candidates who are, are backed by the Biden administration and by by former President Trump here, because there has been those discussions of just how do, how does that play with voters? How much does that matter to voters? And I mean, right. I, earlier you guys mentioned, you know, President Biden's uh, approval ratings not looking great with with Catholic voters, and it, I think it's still uh, significantly low as well amongst voters more more generally. So it's it's definitely been been interesting to see these issues play out, and I think across these different races, the thing that just seems to to really resonate are those economic concerns, for sure. Right. We're in a very pivotal moment. There has been a, a group within the Catholic um, voter bloc uh, that has maybe made the most movement um, in terms of dissatisfaction with uh, President Biden and with the Democrats, um, and that's the Hispanic Catholics. Uh, Matthew, can you speak to where Hispanic Catholics are right now. Well, that's right. Uh, What we found in our polling is that uh, Hispanic Catholics have sort of picked up on the same trend that we're seeing nationally, and that is that uh, Hispanics across the board are, at least in in polling, moving away from the Democratic Party, President Biden in particular. Now, let's remember that in 2020, he carried Latinos uh, by a very sizable margin, although President Trump did much better among them than would have been anticipated in, in the 2020 campaign. What we're seeing with uh, Latino Catholics or Hispanic Catholics is that same trend, uh, that President Biden uh, is not finding immense support among them, and they could prove a very significant difference in some of these senatorial campaigns. Mm -hmm. In the one place, however, that's uh, notable is in Arizona, where the Democrats seem to have been able to hang on to uh, at least the the majority of uh, Latino Catholics which itself is also being borne out and validated in much of the polling that we're seeing in Arizona among secular pollsters. So there's something there uh, among Arizona Hispanics and Arizona Hispanic Catholics uh, that's different from what we're seeing among Hispanic Catholics. But across the board, uh, this is a pretty significant potential development uh, in this campaign and something I think that everyone's going to be watching very closely come 2024. 
Yeah, I think it, as Loretta was saying, it's, in, it's a pivotal moment just to, to see how the parties are, are, are possibly changing, uh, how there's a little attention in, in the parties themselves over what is important and what directions uh, they need to go. So certainly a very pivotal moment. I want to talk for a second about the U.S. bishops. Uh, last week they did, uh, at the end of October, they did put out a statement offering recommendations on pro-family policy for Catholics to really focus on policy uh, and, and uh, elected officials who are going to support pro-family policies. Uh, Loretta, you've obviously been following uh, the uh, uh, pro-life initiatives across the country. Um, just, again, help us to understand uh, the places where we really need to be watching some of these pro-family initiatives. Yeah, certainly. So um, in Kentucky, um, there's there's a initiative that would add pro-life language to the Constitution. And then there's a similar thing going on in Montana. And that's kind of on the positive side of things. But I think one of the things that's really important to be aware of in terms of ballot initiatives in these midterms are the, the three that are very um, you know, pro-abortion in an extreme way that Catholics and the bishops in particular, I think, have been doing a great job of speaking out against. And that's in Michigan, California, and Vermont. They're looking at language there to add um, you know, a right to abortion into the state's constitution in a really, um, you know, broad way with with language that's so, I think in, in Michigan, um, I've, I've seen that it's, the language there is so broad that it would include um, a right for minors to get uh, sterilization or gender transition procedures. Um, just because of the way it's worded, the, you know, re- reproductive health care for any person, um, you know, so... Those are just, I think, things that are very important to watch, and particularly if you're in those states, to to research and speak out on, and um, yeah, just be sure you know what's going on there. Do your part exactly, and uh, and speaking of doing our part, I mentioned the novena for the nation that EWTN as a community has been praying. Um, we're in the last days of that, but I, I do invite our listeners to continue to pray for our nation through November eighth and beyond, um, because this is uh, we, we need prayers, especially um, from Our Lady, who is uh, really Queen of the Americas. Uh, so. Uh, We're all out of time. We will be taking a break and we'll be joined by Register Senior Editor Jonathan Liedel uh, here on Register Radio on EWTN. So stay tuned for more when we return. Bishop James Conley talks about the National Catholic Register. I've been reading the Register for over 40 years, and I can tell people with absolute conviction that it's the best periodical out there. They're honest, they're true, and they give a great perspective. It's important to be able to have a news source like the National Catholic Register where we can go to and make sense and decipher what's going on around us. It also engages the imagination. If you really want to be an informed Catholic, you got to read the National Catholic Register. To get six free issues, order online at ncregister.com forward slash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. That's ncregister.com forward slash radio or 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. While you're waiting on your first issue, be sure to enjoy our content online. The National Catholic Register. Read faithfully. 
Let's return to Register Radio on EWTN. Welcome back. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Executive Director of the National Catholic Register, and I'm joined by my co-host, Matthew Bunsen. The Vatican released on October 27th a key document that will guide the next stage of the discussions in the Synod on Synodality. They released this working document entitled, Enlarge the Space of Your Tent. Here to talk about this 44-page long document that will guide the continental phase of the Senate is Senior Editor Jonathan Liedel. Jonathan, welcome back to Register Radio. Great to be with you. 44 pages. It's quite long, <laughs> um, but I think um, you have been working on this file, the Synod on Synodality file for a while, so you're quite familiar with what's in these pages and, and what issues we've been talking about related to the Synod. So can you help us understand what's in this document and how it's intended uh, to to work as a guide? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the first question is where where did the document come from? Uh, what is it trying to do? So this document, uh, they're calling it the Document for the Continental Stage, DCS for short, is the product uh, of the synthesization of the reports that came first from the diocesan level of the Synod, then up to the regional level, so uh, 112 Episcopal conferences, including the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, putting together these regional reports, tying together what different dioceses are saying. And then those were sent into the Vatican um, this past fall or towards the beginning of fall. So all of that was synthesized into this one document. So you you know the length of it. It could have been a lot a lot longer, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we imagine. But obviously some choices were made to sift through all those reports and highlight different aspects, uh, different, different things to feature. So this document now is going to be sent back uh, to the seven continental stages that will be taking place uh, beginning in January. Um, and it's meant to be, um, you know, so a snapshot of what, what they're alleging the, um, the, the people of God are, are highlighting right now. And it will go to the continental stage and will be discussed there. And those reports will then be submitted prior to the 2023 um, synod that will take place in Rome um, with the Synod Fathers. So that's kind of where we're we're at along uh, the stage right now of the Synod right. on Synodality. Right. So th- that's kind of the lay of the land, where we are. Um, and we, we've already talked a bit about some of the issues, you know, over the past several months um, that have been brought up in uh, the, the diocesan phase. Um, y- you know, things like uh, incorporating uh, better welcoming of LGBT communities, or we've we've heard about you know the desire for women priests and things like this. What does does this document address those issues? What are the issues? The title is a bit. Um, you can read this many ways. Enlarge exactly, the space of yeah. your tent. So what what can you tell us of the document itself? Well, that's the big, yeah, that's a great question. Um, you're right. Enlarge the space of your tent. What does that mean? It comes from uh, it comes from Isaiah, the 54th chapter of the prophet Isaiah. Um, and yeah, enlarge the space of your tent. So underscoring, um, right, that the church is supposed to be for all people. All people are, are called, uh, invited to become a part of the Catholic Church, the body of Christ. Um, so that's the image the document uses to try to underscore its approach to synodality, uh, and what it is emphasizing. The question, though, you know, as you're getting at, Jeanette, and as people have had throughout this process, is are we really enlarging the tent of the church in a way that's consistent with 
what the church is according to its own principles, its own identity, or are we running the danger here of undermining that integrity? Are we broadening it out um, in a way that isn't consistent with what the church actually is? So some of those issues you mentioned, I'd say most of the document is, um, it's not directly dealing with some of those hot and button issues, but when they do come up, it's it's quite striking. Um, So for instance, in the 64th paragraph, we talk about the role of women in the church, right? Which is obviously imp- important. Uh, and they focus, though, on you know the question of ordination, whether to the diaconate or to the priesthood. And I think what's interesting is is they're they're simply um, passing on what's coming from dioceses or what's coming from the regional stages um, of people's perspective, for instance, on women's ordination without any sort of additional guidance, without any sort of reflection upon that statement and and how it fits or doesn't fit with with actual the church's understanding of the priesthood. And as we know, of course, the church has never ordained women. John Paul II was very emphatic and clear uh, that it doesn't have the power to do so, which Pope Francis himself has affirmed. So by the document including uh, you know things things like this, saying, well, a lot of people are clamoring for women's ordination, it continues to allow this concern to grow that the document might be being used as a sort of pretext, uh, you know, for pushing doctrinal changes, for changing practices in the church um, under the guise of, you know, listening to people and including people. You could see, you know, someone making the case, well, the people of God have spoken, and in order to be inclusive, we have to make these changes. So that's the concern that people have is that this enlarging of the tent uh, is really being done in a way that that isn't really consistent with how the church even understands herself and understands doctrine and how it develops. So it's certainly something, yeah, to 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 continue to monitor, which is what we're doing at the register. Yeah, it, it, we have uh, reports from literally all over the world that were then synthesized into this document. Uh, can we talk a little bit about uh, who was responsible for actually doing the synthesis? Because uh, choices had to be made editorially and theologically as to what would be included here. Yeah, that's, uh, I think, a really good point, Matthew. I mean, the the people synthesizing the document, uh, there were about 24 people selected to be part of these synthesizers who met outside of Rome in a town called Frascati for a couple of weeks. And then, of course, the, the people in um, the actual secretariat in the, the office for uh, the synod um, that are conducting it, the leadership there, including Cardinal Gretsch, uh, including Cardinal Jean-Claude Hollerich, uh, were involved. Um, so we know... Yeah, I mean, it'd be. I think you're right, Matthew. That that there, that you you don't just have these reports. It's not like there was like a computer program that sort of took what everyone in the world is saying <laughs> and produced the document. <laughs> we might have been um, better off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, because we know, for instance, uh, Cardinal Jean Claude Hollerick. I know that you and I, Matthew. I think we we're on on Register Radio nine months ago uh, when Cardinal Hollerick, who is the Relator General of the entire Synod for Synodality made public claims that the church's teaching on sexuality were wrong, right, and should be changed specifically regard with regards to, to homosexual sex. And so this, you know, this figure in the church is one of the leading voices, the leading guides, the leading synthesizers for this process that's unfolding right now. So it's just another instance where I think the credibility of this process is is somewhat undermined, somewhat brought into question about whether this is going to be um, some kind of authentic representation of, of what people believe or where people are at in the church and then where it's going, how it will be used um, as well. 
And I, this is a question, I guess, addressed to maybe even both of you. Uh, Matthew, you're a historian. Jonathan, you have a lot of theological studies, and you've really been following this. So uh, you can you can duke it out at who's, who answers. But, I mean, the thing that's been in my mind all of this time is the importance of a synod. Like, what can a synod actually do in terms of, of changing teaching? It, this isn't a council. Um, so... What are we heading towards, really? It's very confusing to me, and I follow these things closely. It must be confusing to to those who are in and out of this conversation. Um, Who wants to go first? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the document, for instance, this document, it says it's not... um you know, it's not a magisterial document, right? So it's not from the teaching authority of the church. And of course, the next stage when it goes uh, to Rome, I mean, that will be an extraordinary synod where bishops, right? Those who in the way that Christ instituted the church have the responsibility for discerning what is consistent with the faith and what isn't, um, will be, um, you know, making those decisions. But I think the, the concern is that it's almost like the deck is being stacked. It's almost like things at this stage, although none of these documents right now have the power to uh, lead to any, I mean, they don't have the power in themselves to change doctrine or anything like that. They're certainly creating a narrative. They're certainly Mm -hmm. uh, setting things up. Uh, And you wonder if this isn't about changing doctrine, if it's not about, for instance, attempting to ordain women as priests, why why is it continued um, not only in the documents, but then in media accounts why, why is the narrative that that's what this process is about allowed to continue? Because then you're simply setting up uh, expectations, right, for something mm-hmm. the church can't do. And I don't see how that itself is so notable. I don't see how that itself fosters unity and community to kind of sideline the doctrine of the church for a while so we can have a conversation and then kind of say later on, well, actually, uh, we can't do any of the things we talked about uh, because right. of this doctrine. So that's one one way to look at it, maybe. Yeah, I think uh, to build on that a little bit, it's the expectations game, uh, but also I think what uh, the, one of the concerns, and it's a valid one, I think, is that this gives further encouragement uh, to the perpetrators of like the synodal path or synodal way in Germany uh, and like-minded individuals uh, and, and groups around the world uh, who also want to advance an agenda that is very contrary to the teachings of the church. I would say that uh, more than this document, we need to be on the alert and be very ready uh, for the Instrumentum Laboris, which is the blueprint for the Synod, uh, when that comes out in the spring. Jonathan, in 30 seconds, can you give us who is actually representing the U.S.? Yeah, so in the continental stage uh, right now, which in our case will take place between Mexico and the U.S., uh, there is a group of 10 um, sort of people, a mix of bishops headed by Daniel Flores of Brownsville as the head of the, the USCCB Doctrine Committee, and then some USCCB staffers as well. And then there will be delegates chosen from dioceses uh, around the country and in Canada as well to take part in these 10 virtual um, sessions, and then that will result in another sort of synthesis, which will be in turn sent to Rome before that phase that Matthew was just talking about. Prayers, prayers, and more prayers. But listeners, please go to ncregister.com for more news, analysis, and commentary. Thanks for joining us here on Register Radio on EWTN. For Matthew Bunsen and our producer Jeff Burson, I'm Jeanette DeMello. Until next week, God bless you. For more information about the National Catholic Register and about Register Radio, go to ncregister.com. 
podcasts of Register Radio are posted on ncregister.com and on EWTN.com. Join us next week at this time for Register Radio on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.